need connection, accountability, support as you explore the next level version of you, give yourself a real gift this year, the gift of time. The Warrior Women Mastermind is starting again in January, a curated group of six amazing women in a safe, collaborative setting. Think you don't have enough time? The money? Wrong. Ask yourself if you're worth three hours a month and $25 a day. The biggest discovery some of the women who sign up for my mastermind figure out is they have so much in common with other women and that they have traded their worth for a to-do list. Set up your interview call with me by going to lizswatek.com. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Space is limited and will sell out fast. Don't miss this opportunity to put yourself first. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. In January of 2021, another 275,000 women dropped out of the labor force, accounting for nearly 80% of all workers over the age of 20 who left the workforce last month. This brings the total number of women who have left the labor force since February 2020 to more than 2.3 million. And it puts women's labor force participation rate at 57%, the lowest it's been since 1988. By comparison, nearly 1.8 million men have left the labor force during the same time period. Many of these women have been forced to leave the workplace due to ongoing closures of schools, daycare centers, lack of paid leave, and lack of flexibility in their jobs. These women are not included in the calculated unemployment rate, which is already disproportionately high for women of color. Today, we're going to talk about what the real problem is and just what it takes to keep women in the workforce. I said it before, but the she session will not stop until these employers change. If you're like me and you have older children, you think this isn't your problem, just remember one day they're going to have your grandchildren. This is an issue we need to solve. All right, Warrior Women, let's get to it. But first, our sponsor. Being an entrepreneur can be lonely. That's why I joined the Bra Network. That's the Business Relationships Alliance. Just like a good bra, the Bra Network lifts, gathers, and connects you to other like-minded entrepreneurial women with the knowledge that when we work together, we rise together. For me, the Bra Network provides the community, mentorship, collaboration, and empowerment I was looking for. From business, marketing, and finance courses to curated events to weekly Zoom meetups, the Bra Network works to advance women across the country. If you haven't joined, Now's the time. Use your special code, WARRIOR, for your discount. And join today at bra-network.com. That's bra-network.com. 
Today on the show, warrior mom of two, Mary Beth Ferrante. Mary Beth is an advocate for creating inclusive workplaces that care for their employees through flexibility, empathetic leadership, and breaking down caregiver bias. She's the founder and CEO of Work360, an advisory training and coaching platform designed to support managers and leaders to become more empathetic. As a former SVP in the finance industry, Mary Beth always valued growing her career. And like so many other career-driven mamas, she was surprised to hit that maternal wall. Her own experience propelled her to dive deeper into maternal bias, to influence changes in the workplace culture, and to advocate for national paid leave policy. Bravo, Mary Beth. Her work has been featured in Forbes, Today, working mother, fairy god boss, scary mommy, and many, many more. I welcome Mary Beth. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to talk to you. We met while working at the Junior League of Los Angeles. And you were always a a badass lady, and I always loved you. But I'm really excited to even get get to know you more and also to hear kind of what you're doing now. I was really I read all your articles on Forbes, which I love. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And I was really fascinated by this whole thing because there's a lot of misconceptions that we think, I think we need to kind of blow the roof off of today. So let's get into it. But first, what was your childhood like, Mary Beth? I want to know what you wanted to be when you grew up. Oh man. I mean, what did I want to be when I grew up? I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to swim with dolphins and be by the ocean. And I was able to propel that enough to convince my parents that that was still a dream and I needed to go to college in California because I actually grew up in the Midwest. I grew up outside of Chicago. And it was the alternative was going to college at the University of Illinois, which is a fantastic school. But they have a library that was built underground so to not block the sun from the golden crop of corn. And that's when I was like, (laughs) I am running to the West Coast in the ocean and telling my parents that it is still my dream to be a marine biologist. But that was quickly thwarted um, after (laughs) taking the class, uh, the topography of the ocean floor, which I found to be extremely boring, had nothing to do with dolphins. And I found myself on a track to be a business major and ended up spending the majority of my corporate career in the financial industry before creating Work360. So definitely a departure from... Like My Octopus Teacher, which is my new favorite documentary, which I cried (laughs) the whole way through that freaking thing. Did you see that? Oh my God, it's terrible. I have not seen that one, but I also am like now realized in my adult life that, you know, being a trainer at SeaWorld is actually terrible for dolphins and it's not at all what we want to do. So, you know, I think it's probably a good thing that I wanted on a different path. (laughs) hundred percent. Oh my God. My, my, you should watch my activist teacher though. It's beautiful. It is. Really I'm going beautiful. to bring you back to your marine biology days. Well, tell me about your career path. How did you pivot and really hone in your, pa- your passion really for helping yeah. moms? So, I mean, like so many of us, you know, it's our own experiences that really create these pivots. And I was, you know, working in a, um, on a team and in a job where I was doing really well, but I didn't love it. And I think that that's an important factor because while I was raising the ranks, I actually got promoted to SVP well on maternity leave with my first child, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yes. So, you know, things were going well. And I think if I had really enjoyed what I was doing, if I had really believed in it, I probably would have let a lot of this stuff go. But instead, what happened is I came back from that maternity leave and I 
just felt like I had walked directly into that maternal wall. I worked on a team of all ex-consultant men, big four consulting for men, which I, I preface because the company that I worked for is on all the best 100 lists, Is has all the right policies. I had paid leave. I had 12 weeks at the time. They've actually since expanded it. Um, but I had 12 weeks of paid family leave, which was amazing and so different than what so many people get. So there were a lot of these kind of policies and factors, but the, t- the culture of my team was that we worked 60 plus hours a week, that we worked every weekend, that I walked back in on a... Thursday after my maternity leave and by Friday had a full suite of projects already ready for me to take over and expecting me to dive in and just pick up exactly where I had left off. And there was no really understanding or ramp up period for realizing that I had gone through this major transition. And not only that, that I now had all these different responsibilities than I had previously had. So, you know, I think that's really what started it. The other piece of this was that I started to ask questions and look around and look for support. And like I said, I worked on a team of all ex of all um, ex consulting men. Yeah. So hey, that was part of it. Pump. Can you hold this for me, dude? Yeah, exactly. Thank right. You. So having that conversation of like, hey, by the way, I'm gonna need to block my calendar for a few times a week so that I can pump, or a few times a week, a few times a day, right? Exactly. A few times a day so that I can pump was already awkward enough. But you know, there was no women in my central team. So, you know, I started to talk to women that were kind of a little bit outside of my team. And while they were all lovely and great mentors to me, a lot of them were also a decade or two older than me and had taken time off or had stepped back from their careers or had made their own pivots. And so they really didn't have a lot of advice for how to be on this track in your career and to also be a new mom, right? To have really little kids. And so that was the part that I was like, this just needs to change. We need to be providing more and more support for working moms and for working parents to really enable them to have that space to ramp up and to have that support in their career, right? We have lactation consultants and we have our OBs and our pediatricians and our doulas and all the things, but like, who's helping me on the career side. And so that's really what kind of encouraged me to make that pivot. And like I said, I also didn't love what I was doing. So it was easy for me to say, it's time to walk away. You know, well, we all grow and change. I mean, gone are the days where it's like, I'm going to work for 15, 20 years at Xerox. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. We are, you know, the careers are the jungle gyms. We're climbing all over. But exactly. I mean, we definitely have made progress, right? Like, just like you mentioned, I mean, many companies and organizations have made have made progress, but I still feel like exactly what you're saying. They're not really meeting the needs of working parents. And my God, yes. like, like you have put, you have said many times in your articles, COVID has thrust this into the limelight. We did not know how unsupported working parents were until COVID hit. And then we were like, oh, we have no support. That's what it is. Yes. We have nothing. Working parents today are juggling constant ch- childcare disruptions, overseeing online learning, and then they're still trying to be an ideal employee. How do we get companies to care? What changes can we make? What what what, what do we do, Mary Beth? It's yes, so- I know. What do so we do? And I think this is this is the hardest piece, right? Because 
it is, it, there's so many different elements that I think need to shift and change, right? So first is that we have historically made this all about the family unit and making it about a choice, right? That women are wanting to stay home or that they should stay home or, you know, that we really don't need to have this kind of foundational support. We're the only country, the only OECD country, which basically means that we have a large economy, right? And that we should be supporting our families. We're the only ones without paid leave. Other countries are like Papua New Guinea, right? So that is a foundational shift that really needs to come from a policy perspective, because right now it is falling on companies to provide any sort of support. And what happens- legislated. Correct. So right now, the way paid leave stands is that it's up to the company. You don't have to do it, but some companies do do it if they feel like being nice about it. Right. And if they feel like they need to from a talent perspective. So what does that mean? It's the big companies. It's the tech companies. It also puts a disparity between the the women who actually need it most because the the employees that are typically the ones that are going to receive paid leave are knowledge-based workers and corporate settings that probably went to college, maybe even grad school, right? Versus those women who might be on the front lines working in a hospital setting, working in a factory setting. Those are the women that are more likely 25% of women today still go back to work within two weeks of having a baby. That's insane. Like you're literally not even physically healed at that point. And the reason- C-section, Mary Beth, Jesus. You can't go back to work like that. No, you absolutely cannot. And yet, you know, we give puppies eight weeks with their dog moms before we're allowed to separate them. But it's become this thing where, you know, we're asking these women to literally choose between having a paycheck to feed that baby, to buy diapers, to be able to pay their rent and to be with their baby and to be able to nurse them and to bond with them and to heal themselves. And that is not a choice right? This is, and I think this is where this notion gets really misaligned, right? Just, it yeah. doesn't make any sense that we're saying that this is something where, you know, oh, women, you know, should be choosing. And if they don't want to stay home, we shouldn't make them stay home. And there's a fear that some of these policies would do that. And I think, you know, we're seeing more bipartisan support, but it's still, how do we pay for it? Where does it come from? So and so I think one of the companies to care. What it no. is, about, it's about politics. Like we need to it's, actually have paid family leave as a across the board. Yes. Is what we saying. need to make it easy for companies, right? Because we need to support them to get there. And I think, you know, so in areas where some of the, some states like California, for example, does have some sort of paid leave, you know, it's easier for companies to be able to top that off, right? The state of California provides a certain portion of paid leave. It's about 65, 70%, depending on where you're at. But then a lot of companies will top that off. They're happy to do that. They're happy to get you to that 100%, but they need that support. They need that tax benefit it or that driver. And I think that's the biggest piece is, you know, we're seeing it in these bigger companies because they're able to do it. They're able to see that it's an investment and not just a cost, 
Where some smaller base companies or even medium-sized companies, they may understand that it's an investment to have paid family leave, but they might just financially not be able to support it, especially coming out of COVID. And so we need that legislative support for sure. And then I think where the companies really stand to be more supportive is actually in the ways that we work, right? At Work360, we're talking a lot about this next phase of work because we're not really going back to where we were. We're not exactly sure where we are on the future of work. So we're kind of in this messy middle, especially with where the pandemic is right now. And, you know, there's still flare-ups and there's still disruptions and there's still just a lot of uncertainty. And so we're seeing more and more that companies are moving into this hybrid model, which is really exciting for working parents because it does allow for more flexibility. Maybe you can work remotely a few days a week. Maybe you can flex your schedule. But that's where the where parents really need the support is actually after the leave, right? We need the leave so that we can heal, so that we can bond with our babies, so we can make sure that the health of the birthing parent and the health of the baby are are good and ready to go. But then we need companies to recognize that, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's when it starts is when you go back to work, right? It's not just the leave. It's when you're in that day to day and you're constantly having those, those juggle. And we've seen this with, with COVID and the fact that our kids have literally been in the background, but knowing that that's happening all the time, we're always having to kind of, you know, manage drop-offs and pickups and having to deal with daycare or closures or sick kids or whatever it is. And so it's having that empathy, that flexibility, and that understanding that life happens and there is no way to actually separate life from work. It's all one big mess. And I think that is the biggest silver lining. Totally. And I think it's a, it's a BS thing to say work-life balance. Cause I'm like, Oh, absolutely. I don't even understand what that is. There is no work-life balance. Your work is part of your life. Correct. That's what it is. And everybody it's for everybody. It's the same way. Like you're saying, you have to kind of fold all these things together and figure it out. And if you don't get any flexibility from your employer, then it's really hard to figure it out. And then you start doing things you probably shouldn't be doing because you're trying to find a way to kind of sneak around and get around whatever policies, you know, your company has. You you brought this up, but in 2019, only 2% of working women plan to leave the workforce for family reasons. Only 2%. Mm -hmm. Mary Beth, I feel like even I believed that more women were trying to leave just because they wanted to leave. But in reality, 43% of these highly qualified women opted out or off-ramped their way back to work post-baby. So this, like you're saying, this is not because they wanted to quit. This is because, like you're saying, they got back to work, everything landed on top of them, and they were like, I can't even make this work. And and obviously, you're not going to give your baby away. So if you really have to choose between two things... Guess what? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so that's the thing is this this notion that women are opting out is I think the 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 story that needs to change, right? Because it's really that they're being pushed out. And it, and it's typically not that women are even not coming back from leave. The majority of women come back from leave where we see them starting to opt out or be pushed out really is at within that first few months of returning because they're not met with any sort of flexibility or after the birth of a second or third child where now the logistics of managing the family are getting even more demanding and more challenging and the cost of childcare is so insanely expensive in the US 
that when you have to add two or three kids to that, you know, that's where that those choices, again, aren't choices anymore. It becomes what is actually feasible for my family. And even if I want to work, right, there, there aren't as many options available. And so part of this is definitely from the legislation perspective, right? Paid leave, affordable childcare, um, universal preschool, things like that, that really can drive and support more women to be at work. But it does also changes in how we think about the culture of care within organizations and within our homes. So when I think about it from a, from a company perspective, it's not only providing space for working mothers, it's providing space for all caregivers. It's providing space for all employees to care for themselves, right? To yeah. say, it's okay for me to stop working at 6 p.m. to either go spend time with my baby, my family, or to spend time with a friend or take a yoga class or do something else. And then so, you know, when we have these huge overwork premiums where people are expected to always be on, to be that ideal employee, you know, that is always going to perpetuate an environment where especially working parents and particularly working mothers are going to be forced, kind of pushed off that, that trajectory. And so when I think about culture, it's really how can we support care? How can we support care for ourselves and care for others and care for our teams so that we can also provide space for everyone, not just women and not just mothers to be caregivers. So on a policy perspective, that looks like not just maternity leave, but parental leave. It looks like caregiver leave for elderly. It's making sure that you have sick time that people can actually utilize. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about like unlimited PTO. Well, that sounds great in theory, but if the culture of your organization is that you never ever take a day off or that when you take a day off, you're still plugged into your phone the entire time, yeah. that that's not care for yourself that's not providing that space. Yeah. So those are the types of things that we're working on comp with companies on is how do you actually institute this culture and not only have the policy, but back it up with the support and the resources and give managers the tools and the language to really work with their employees. So tell me about you. So you have two girls. We were just were talking about this. The last time I talked to you, you had a toddler. Yeah. Now you've got like a, another, you got another toddler. You got some toddler. Yeah. Two girls. So how did this personally affect you? Like, were you ready? I mean, it's always such a joke. Yeah. Whenever I talk to women about having a baby and they're like, well, I've got all these plans in place and it's all going to go like this. And I'm like this. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Great to see yeah. how that works because it just throws you off your game. I don't care how prepared you are and what you, cause it's just nothing like you can really imagine. And, and you don't know what you're going to get. You know, you don't know if yeah. your baby's going to have a complication when they're born or you're going to have not feel well, or you're going to have mental, mental health challenges after Absolutely. or what, or what menu of insanity <laughs> is going to come in your, to you. Right. Yeah. So how did you deal with all of that? How was your kind of transition and what did you learn about yourself in that time yeah. that kind of helps you now help us? I know, right? It's so crazy. So I think the biggest thing for me is that I really thought it was just about like having all the right tricks, right? I thought it was about, well, if I just manage my time perfectly, then I will be able to handle this because, you know, moms are supposed to be superheroes. And I'm not saying that we aren't because we are warriors. Absolutely. Right. We are absolutely those warrior moms and we are superheroes, but we shouldn't have to be 
right? We shouldn't have to be managing every little detail in the home and at work at this crazy capacity. That means that where do we put our needs? At the very bottom. How many hours are most moms sleeping? Not enough, right? Like we're always putting ourselves last. And I think that is the biggest thing for me is recognizing that that is completely unsustainable. It's not healthy and that it's completely ridiculous, (laughs) to be honest, you know, and I think it really, I started doing a lot of reading, right? I started getting really into this and really into the research and, you know, we blame a lot on the patriarchy, but I'm going to say that this is one of those things that I absolutely blame on the patriarchy too, that it like serves men very, very well in this country to have women be solely or mostly responsible for childcare. Right. And and so I think that to me was a big shift. And I, I had to recognize too, like, what is, what am I, what do I actually think? What do I actually want? Or what do I, what do I, that I should want? Right. And what do right? I really need, need versus what mm-hmm. should I, what should I portray? Right. Yes. What do I really need? Am I going crazy? Do I need to maybe get on some medication? Maybe do yep. I need, you know, do I need more help than I thought? And I'm just going to have to admit that because there's nothing wrong with needing help. Like what, it, what kind of mental barrier am I having on myself? Yes. And so I think one of the biggest things that we can all do, one of the simplest things is to just start to speak the truth about motherhood and about working motherhood, right? Like, so saying, yes, I need help. And in a workplace setting, in a leadership setting, to talk about your responsibilities as a parent. I actually sat in this conference uh, a number of years ago where a very senior leader at my previous company got up and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not talking about my kids, for pretending that I wasn't a mom, for putting that on the back burner in my professional life, because it's perpetuated this consistent culture that we had to hide motherhood, that we had to secret parent in the background. And so today I really encourage everyone to just parent out loud at work, right? To talk about it, because if we start to talk about it, it becomes more normalized. And and that is the silver lining of the way too many Zooms that we've had over the past year is that we have seen it, we've heard it, we know that it's happening, but we need to make sure that men are doing it too, that they're also parenting out loud, that they're having that space to care and that we are okay saying that we're getting help, right? That when, if you're on that panel about women at work, right? Because you're a leader, like talk about the fact that you have a therapist or that you also work with a coach or that you have a nanny who is working for your family six days a week so that you actually have space to think or whatever it is, right? We need to talk about the fact that like, it does take a village to raise our families and it takes a village to help support us as working moms and as working parents. And so if we start to normalize normalize those things, I think we'll recognize like how we can bring that community better together too. Yeah. I mean, my God, can we stop the charade? I feel like we've we've seen it, right? Like you said, like, I love that reporter. They showed that zoom a thousand times, that video of that kid who was full walking on, he was like on CNN or something. That kid was like, freaking doing a dance behind him. I was like, dude, you are so screwed. Don't try to make a serious face. I mean, it was crazy to me that everybody's still trying to carry on this charade. I'm like, we all know that we may yeah. be rock stars at work, but our kids own us. They yes. own us. Like they, are, if they're upset or they're, you know, I got, I got teenagers, Mary Beth. Oh my gosh. How can you, I can't I even. I got a teen 
and a tweet. Coco is 12, Mary Beth. That's insane. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? Landon is turning 15. He is a six-foot man. (laughs) I'm saying this is not a joke. Like I get on with my girlfriends and I'm like, okay, listen to this one. I got a new one for you. I mean, every day there is some challenge that I was not expecting. It throws me off. Oh my God. Every day. All the time. And my kids are older. I'm not. Well, and I think this is what's right. But this is what's so important that it's not just the baby phase. Right. And this is where it becomes not just about parental leave, while it's such a critical component, it's about that empathy and it's about that flexibility and it's about allowing people to have that ladder and jungle gym career where they can, you know, kind of pedal back a little bit and then get back on track to pedal forward, depending on what's going on um, with their kids' lives. Because, you know, we do have new challenges with every stage of our kids' lives, we're going through different things. And then with every stage of our careers, we're going through different things. And so what I really encourage people to do, and I, and I often say do it with every school year, because it's just a natural check-in point, is just to think about like, what are our family's goals and what are our family's career goals, right? Because they all fit in. And so looking at like, if you have a partner at home, is someone looking to to step up and go for that promotion this year, does that mean that the other person in the relationship needs to maybe hold a little bit more at home to enable that person to do that? And how do you make sure that you're you're having that support between the whole family to go after what it is that you guys want collectively and be really intentional about it as opposed to you know just letting it happen? Because I think that's what often happens is we don't really think about it and structure our homes as a business conversation, right? You know, Fair Play is an incredible book. If you guys haven't read it, every one of us should be reading it. It's Eve Rodsky. I'm a huge fan. And she really takes basically a a system and almost a business approach to the home of how do we divide and conquer labor based on what's going on in our lives and our needs of our kids and our needs of our careers. And that's going to continually shift and it's okay for it to change. It doesn't have to be a one and done, you know? I just recently talked to Dr. Michelle Borba, who, if you don't know her, you're going to read every book she ever read if you haven't already. Um, but love it. Been, you, do you know her? Do you know her? I don't, but I'm going to oh, look her up right now. Every I single book. Just, okay, just, just start at book one and just keep going. But her, her latest book, which you would really love, is called Thrivers. And it's the it's showing you what is the difference between a kid that really can handle like all the changes in life and what and kids that can't. There are kids that go through unimaginable loss and they just seem to be able to keep going. And there's some kids that just get undone by the littlest thing. Yeah. And she talks about these seven characteristics, and she literally goes through every age and stage of child. So like I've got teenagers. There's things I can yeah. do with them. You've got littles. Literally, it tells them. And one of the biggest things she tells you is that self-control is like one of these big, big things that kids need to learn really, really, and and how to self-soothe, like when they're stressed, noticing when they're stressed. And I'm thinking that's great. There are adults, Mary Beth. Yes. That don't don't know how to do that. They're stressed. So I I feel like, you know, thinking of things like that, getting kind of the bird's eye view of your family. I love that idea of family strategy, but you know, you do need the space and time to sometimes like you just said, okay, well, where are our kids right now? Like, okay, yep. like our kids are in kindergarten and we got to, what are, what do we need to think of that? What do they need right now? What mm-hmm. stage are they in? Because sometimes these stages, like even coming out of like kid and going to tween and teen, that happened really fast. Yeah. And I absolutely and said, 
these are sexual beings. Yeah. My baby. Yeah. My baby is now a sexual being. I have to think about her That's sexuality. I have to think about Landon had had a girlfriend that that opens right. up a whole other category of things. So I think you need the time and space, like you just said, to be able to to think about these things strategically and set goals. Family, who needs to step back? Do I need to step in more with these kids right now? Because maybe they really, you know, you can't. You've got you're going for this promotion. I'm going to step in more with these kids right now because they really they need me need right me. now. Yep. And, and maybe we're going to flip-flop or maybe we're not, or maybe we are going to invest in one career over the other. But the thing is, is to make it intentional and not feel like it happened yeah. to make sure that you are having that conversation about it and that you're recognizing like, what are the benefits to our family? And, you know, do, is this what we want? And making sure that you have that space to still be yourself and be, you know, have time to, if it's not your career to go after something else, whether it's volunteering, which is what we did for a very long time, right. Or to, you know, put it into something else, a a project that you're really interested in. I think we need to make sure that we all have that space to like live our own values and check in with ourselves, but also recognize how that fits into kind of the overall goals for your family. Because I think this is the biggest challenge with this question of like, How do we keep women in the workforce? How do we like support working families better? There is unique needs based on your kids and you and your priorities and your goals and all of those things. So there isn't one solution, except I would say to be more empathetic and to be more flexible, to allow us to have different ways to participate and to work and to be paid for that work that we're doing yes. so that, you know, we can really support, um, support the goals of women and, and mothers who want to be working. So tell me, well, first of all, I want to know kind of what's next for you, what you're working on. I don't know your yeah. own cool things you're doing, but also how do we work with you or how do companies work with you? Tell me kind of yeah. like that piece. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the biggest thing that we are doing right now is really supporting organizations and individuals through this kind of next phase of work, right? So like, what does that look like? And and how do you shift culture, particularly when you are, you know, in a more remote world or or you're coaching a hybrid team? For individuals, a lot of what we're doing is we're working with uh, particularly women and moms, right? Who are trying to navigate these conversations in their own organization. So we're helping them kind of craft those documents, the research, the conversation that they need to have to kind of pitch this, to change the culture in their own organization. And we do absolutely still do one-on-one coaching. Uh, It's pretty limited these days, but, you know, absolutely want to make sure that we still are providing that support or being able to refer, you know, women who are looking for that support to uh, really high quality individuals that we know are are fabulous to work with. So I got to introduce you to Tanya Del Pozo, who is a postpartum depression, a kind of back to work mom coach. And she is amazing. She has an incredible story. So I'm going to introduce you to her for sure. Perfect. Guess what, Mary Beth? We're on to the speed round. It's party time. Woohoo. Let's do it. Cocktail of choice. Whispering Angel, Rosé. I mean, yes. Yes. My fave. I mean, of course. Hello. That's technically not a cocktail, but I still love it. I mean, it's perfect. It's fine. I saw Isaac Mizrahi, who I'm Obsessed yeah. with from day one to now. <laughs> Do you know he's a jazz singer? Can't even talk about it. He's so good. He sings. He does what? these club performances like at the Carlisle and he sells tickets for like $10. I buy every single concert. It's the best thing you've ever seen in your life. Oh my gosh. Um, he's really very good. 
But he, okay. he does his whispering angel because he can't really handle like any liquor or wine at all. So what he does is he fills it half with like bubbly water. And yes. I thought, you know, it's kind of good to do that because we do drink it all day when we drink it. Like if I'm on like, it's a Saturday or Sunday and I'm with oh, my girlfriends, yeah. it's like the hours are going by. And if you don't do that, it's like bottles nine bottles later, you're like, oh God. <laughs> and now I'm going to just fall over. So yeah, yeah, make fall your over. own spritzer, add your little grapefruit LaCroix to it, Ooh, or, you awesome. know, the, pa- the pumple mousse. It's delicious. Mm, yes, girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mantra or quote you live by? Don't shit on yourself. So. Shit on yourself. This has been my thing that I always say, ask myself when I'm feeling really overwhelmed or feeling pressure, or feeling like I should do something. Why? Who's telling me I should do it? Where is it coming from? Is it really something I want to be doing? Or is it something that like the higher powers that be, I feel like I should be. So don't shit on yourself. I love this so much. (laughs) Uh, What makes you feel unstoppable? I feel, it's kind of weird, but like lifting weights, actually, there's something about like the power. Yes. Yeah. I just feel like I'm like, okay, if I can do this, I can do anything. Isn't it weird? So, being physically strong as a woman is such a badass feeling. Like yes. lifting weights, like really lifting weights. And by the way, I, when I was lifting weights before, it was like the, it was like my mouse of my literally like a pencil. yeah, like yeah, like two totally. No, now, now I'm like, like oh yeah. Now I do Legit. like 10, 10 pounds. You know, yeah. I feel like a badass when I do that. I love it. Absolutely, me too. It's so funny. It's so funny. You, you I, I, no one's ever said that, but I feel that exact thing. <laughs> Who do you admire? Gosh, so many people. I think ultimately though, it's really like my mom and my sister. I feel like they paved the working mom world for me. My mom was a teacher in my entire, like, I mean, what she actually stayed at home when I was really little, but I don't remember that. So I only like envision her as a working mom. And I think that that just was a no brainer for me. I always knew I wanted to work and have my own career and that really shaped where what I'm doing today, even though she totally thinks I'm insane. And <laughs> half the time is like, what are you doing? But I still, her and my sister, who is a badass in her own right in her career, uh, definitely paved, paved the way for me. I love that. What are you most proud of? Not giving up. I think entrepreneurship is really hard. And you're up and you're down and there's that thing around the corner and you wonder if you're going to make it and you don't know if it's worth it. And you cry a lot, or at least I did, or I still do, but I'm just proud of myself for not giving up, for fighting the fight. And, and look, part of that is the privilege that I've been able to. And so recognizing that is important too. But I think for all of you who may be trying to start your own business or thinking about it or whatnot, it is not like some overnight success story trajectory, you know. I mean, for some people it is, but it wasn't no. for me. So it's normal. No, I've interviewed right? three women and you're actually, you're, I don't even know what number you are, but let me say, not one of those stories says, and then overnight it just happened for me. <laughs> no. Yeah, Never. no. <laughs> and even if that happens, even if it suddenly just clicks, it's been 10 years in the making. That's right? what I, so, Yes, yeah. exactly. What is exciting you the most right now? Okay. So it's super COVID related. My daughter is double booked for a birthday party. And I was like, the fact that we have two things to go to that we've been invited to is like pretty much the most exciting thing right now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so true. I am just really, really ready to 
I'm, I'm pretty much a, I'm an extrovert. And so for me to be able to like channel that again and be with people is pretty exciting. And it's so simple, but I think after this crazy year, year and a half that we've all had, um, just getting into a, a, a new rhythm is really exciting to me. Oh my God. Yes. Just being, having a little freedom, feeling like we can go places and we don't have to live in fear. I mean, it's just, it is, I definitely feel more hopeful and I see the light at the end of the tunnel and all the, all the things, all the things. Yes, exactly. So get out of the languishing mode. I've been languishing for quite some time. So I'm, I'm ready to be excited and hopeful again. Yeah. You're going to shoot yourself out of a cannon. Boom. I'm here. Hello. Yes. I'm out. Exactly. Ready to go. Ready to go. Well, thank you so much, Mary Beth, for coming to talk to me. It was so good to catch up with you. Yes. I'm I'm happy for you that, that you're helping women with it. First of all, you're helping yourself. <laughs> I am. But also myself. you're helping you're helping other women really navigate this because this is a real, real deal. And we don't want women living the workplace because women are amazing and they need to be exactly. in the workplaces because women are so great in the workplace. They have such a great, I think, heart-filled, heart-centered, empathetic way of being. We need to encourage that, not say, oh, I'm sorry. We have no place for you here. So thank you so much for all the things you do. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. I love it. Well, thank you for joining me today. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.